You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. The Trek Files, Season 7, Episode 3, Star Trek The Motion Picture Call Sheets, October 1978. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, all you Star Trek fans. Hey, all you Star Trek historians, you know who you are. Yes, all you canonistas, and I say that lovingly, on the, in all the best ways. Of course, hey, all you Trekophiles is what I'm saying here, spelled with an F, of course. We've got a wonderful show. We've got a brand new guest for the show, someone you do need to know about who's got a lot to share with us. So, as always, start your Trek Files journey. Check out the website there, our, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Hey, we've got the documents for this week, which are actual Star Trek documents. But as you're studying those, here's an audio sample. Take a listen. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back with this week's special guest. Atmosphere and stand-ins. Five stand-ins, 7.45 a.m., report stage 10. 192 atmosphere men, 7 a.m., report stage 17. 100 atmosphere women, 7 a.m., report stage 2. Yes, that's right, Truckophiles. We're back in the era of the motion picture. Hey, that infamous wreck deck scene, right? Which was meant to A, finally show the entirety of the Enterprise crew in one master shot, because now we've got a movie budget, <laughs> was also doing double duty, as many of you know, as a, as a wonderful valentine to a lot of the fans who had been so supportive uh, all through the 70s, all through the fan revival effort, the explosion of fanzines, the explosion of, of, of conventions, everything that helped bring Star Trek back and in the process, you know, create a whole new paradigm here. And our guest today, among a wide career, being an author, actor, a sound department professional, he's the post-production sound supervisor at Bulletproof Sound uh, in New Jersey, wrote the book Written Out of Television. Among his many, many claims to fame is he was, yes, one of the many Enterprise crew in that wreck deck scene. <laughs> He's got a lot else to talk about, but just this adventure alone is enough to have him with us on the Trek Files today and get these documents out of the files. So I am so thrilled to have with us Stephen Lance. Stephen, I'm so glad you could join us in the Trek Files today. I, I want to meet him. It, when I get introduced like that, it's like, I got to meet that guy. Uh, I'm flattered. Thank you so much, Larry and John, for having me. Well, no, no, no. It's great to have you on, and I'm... Uh, I'm glad the eddies and currents of Trekdom brought you to us. Um, now, I mentioned your book written out of television. It's out of print, you said, but it's available? The book is out of print. You can get it at, uh, you know, you can find it on Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Half.com, and Street Corners with guys with long jackets sometimes have it, you know, <laughs> with watches. Uh, I see. Watches. This, is, this is what conventions in the 70s, I mean, you kind of made your claim to fame hosting conventions in the 70s, and I would love to talk with you about that sometime. But these sure. documents today are from uh, this infamous scene and you've got your own personal story as well as an eyewitness account because it was in, in a project like the motion picture that has so many little nooks and crannies of stories associated with it. This, this moment in time, the wreck deck scene flies by in the movie, but for everybody who had been 
following on, had been hanging on every shred of detail, because the motion picture was not just about making a movie. It was about proving that a dead little TV show could come back to life. It was the first fan-empowered moment, you know, fan ownership we talk about now. And uh, But I, I just, how did you come to be involved in that? You were in New York. You'd been hosting conventions. Uh, how, how did you wind up, and this is in L.A., so you had to get across country, which must have been an adventure in in the late 70s. So how did you wind up being at this moment? It, it's one of those, the, the whole story of getting the convention, which we will talk about, the whole thing was a series of, of accidents in, in a good way and being in the right place at the right time. I had gotten the job to host the Star Trek conventions, beginning with the Al Schuster conventions, his fourth annual uh, international Star Trek convention, and then continued on through, uh, through the TriStar years. And it was because of that when Gene was constantly going to see the suits at Paramount saying, I have, I have a concept. You know, we're going we're gonna to do this. We, we, we want to bring the series back. And the suits would say no. And then we'd have another convention. Another 5,000 people would show up. And everybody, this is really interesting. If you want to know who, who the biggest, by the way, he, he turned out to be wrong, thank goodness. But he was the only realist. And I got really close to, to, to Walter because of this, Walter Canning. Mm -hmm. At every convention, they'd say, we're going to have a movie. We're going to do a new TV. They were going to try to do a, a Columbo-like thing or one of the, the mystery wheel that they used to have on CBS, where every week there was Rockford Files, and there, then there was a Banachek, then there was another show. So they thought maybe a 90-minute format once a month was something they could sell to Paramount. And that didn't happen either. And they kept saying, well, we're going to bring it back. We're, we're working on a series. You're bringing, and, and everybody who came up on stage would, you know, would, would wave the flag and say, oh, this is, we're working on it. It's going to happen. And, and Walter would come out. And I know you know Walt. Mm -hmm. And Walter would come out and go, oh, yes. it, it's, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Oh, by the way, he didn't say, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. He didn't he do the Russian idea. It's not going to happen. He didn't do the Russian invention. But, but he, he would say, uh, it's not going to happen, guys. It's, and, and I, it's and not I thought, over till it's over. It's not happening until it's happening. Yeah, I thought that he was a realist. I'm glad he was proven wrong. I know Walter was glad he was proven wrong, but uh, we had no idea that was was going to really pan out as a motion picture. When it did, uh, calls went out from various mm -hmm. cast members and and from Susie Sackett to to people uh, saying, "Hey, you've been instrumental in keeping Star Trek going." I got the phone call from from uh, from Jimmy Dewan and says they're al we're allowed to invite you know. No, okay, now hold on a second. I, for one thing, we just had. I love the way you called her Susie Sackett. You're the first person I've ever heard call her that. We just had her on as a guest, and hopefully we'll have her back very soon. So that's number one. But that's an indication of where. I mean, this is the network, and it was as much happening yeah. in the '70s out of New York and East Coast as it was back here. That's where the the birth of the original New York conventions birth not only star trek conventions but media cons but that was that network happening but you so jimmy do it was your ticket in how were you and jimmy especially close yes we were and because I, I the, don't know why, totally because I, the convention circuit and getting to know him from that what I, I i was a kid i was a kid i was you know 12 13 years old when i was watching the, the show at, at home and I can't well, say that and you like, were 16 when you were emceeing the cons? No, uh, no, it, it was it was 20 something. Okay, but, but it was it was you know some years later. I was like 22. It was like eight years from you know from the time I was 13. If he had eight, whatever that is. So yes, Shatner is the captain, and 
I love Captain Kirk and Bill Shatner, but the other character that I was drawn to was, was Scotty, particularly because even at that young age, when I was getting sent to the principal for talking in class, I liked doing voices. I liked doing impressions. And I thought that, that his voice, you know, was, was something that I, I wanted to grab onto. And I loved the character. I loved his attitude or just something about him. So when I got to meet him finally, I had practiced. I was in college at the time. And I remember one night, it was like three o'clock in the morning, and I, I was in the studying for an exam. And I went into the boys' washroom to, to you know, take care of things. Mm-hmm. I was in the, one of the stalls, and there's nobody there at three o'clock in the morning, tiled walls. And, and I'm practicing because I was going to get to meet him, you know. And I, pleased to meet you, sir. Nice to meet you, Mr. Doon. Good to meet you, sir. How you doing, Mr. Doon? And I'm practicing. And then the door flies open and my friend Lee walks in because I recognize his, his stupid slippers that he had. He goes, Stevie, I hope that's you and our John, because if not, Scotty just beamed down to our crapper. And, and when Lee said that, I knew that I had the voice. And then I, I, I'm at the convention. What a compliment. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. I knew yeah. I, I had stuff. So, so, so I, I'm at the convention, checked in. They bring me up to the, the room where you, where you meet the, uh, the cast that they're, they're holding court up there. Jimmy's in a big armchair. You know, he's James doing to me, of course, at that point. And, they, and they, John Townsley said, Steve, you want to meet? Or, or Al Schuster said, we want you to meet James doing. And I reach out my hand. I go, please to meet you, son. Nice to meet you, Mr. Doing. And he goes, hi, Steve. How are you? Like, <laughs> that is probably the biggest egg on my face that I've had in did it go right past him or did he intentionally sidestep your attempt? No, no, no. It was, no, he was just speaking in his yeah. real voice, which I didn't know as a kid. I'm not getting paid to do the accent right now. So sorry, kid. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know it was. I thought he, that, and that's a mark of a good actor. Oh, you thought he was really Scottish? Yes. I did. Oh, oh, okay. I did. So I, I, I didn't know. And it's like, I worked with uh, Noel Neal once who played Lois Lane on The Adventures of Superman. And somebody in the audience were on stage, and somebody in the audience said, oh, was George Reeves really a good actor? And, and Noelle said, do you believe he was Superman? Well, yeah, yeah, but was he a good actor? She says, do you believe this kid that grew up in Iowa was really from another planet? And, and it's the same thing with Jimmy and, and Bill, too. They're such good actors. You truly believe that they are who they're presenting themselves to be. And that's their acting, that's directing, that's right the stories everything. so so he, the call goes out so they're they're shooting a motion picture this this someone gene makes it available which got to be rather tangled we want to get to that but so one of the first people jimmy thinks to call is you which is awesome about hey you want to be one of our yeah it was sex. it was really it was it was truly a, a lovely a phone call and he said you know they they're making the movie and they have a scene where they can have extras and each of us are allowed to invite you know two or three people and I'd, I'd like to ask if you'd like to do it. And I, there was no question about the answer to be, you know, yes. And I said, uh, he says, you know, where are you going to stay? I said, well, I don't have, I'm from Freehold, New Jersey, by the way. The other guy is Springsteen is from Freehold, New Jersey. Uh, we don't know each other. And, and uh, he said, where are you going to stay? And I said, I don't know, Jimmy. Uh, I guess I'll get a hotel near the studio. And Jimmy said, very matter-of-factly, no, you're not. You send me your itinerary, I will pick you up at the airport, and you are going to stay with me and Wendy and the kids, the kids being Chris and Monty. So that's how I not only got into the movie, but 
got to live with Scotty. I mean, it was unbelievable. So yeah, we were close at the conventions and that, that's how that. Came. Well, that's okay. So you've got the moment. So, and the thing that the call sheets reveal here is we're talking about all those extras, uh, which is an interesting mix. But once again, folks, we have numbers. We have no names. There's a list somewhere on some second AD's pad somewhere, which is why we had a moment, uh, uh, Steve, when we uh, we were able to finally figure out the identity of the uh, human Isis woman, who people thought oh. it was Victoria Vetri for a while until she knocked that down, the playmate and all of this, yeah. and we finally. Fa- but we, it was it took finding the one piece of paper, the carbon from central casting for the extras that day, most of whom have have come forward because they were returning extras. But she had that one that one bit, and we finally found April Tatro, and it was one of our best shows. But again, it illustrates until like the modern series got to the point where like Next Gen and onward, if in their third and fourth, fifth season, they'd start writing extras if they were regular extras, because it was a fa- you know, it was a family by then. But anything a movie, much less anything first out of the gate, they're not doing that. That's on the separate sheet. And and, and movies especially. So here we've got just numbers. 192 atmosphere men, 100 atmosphere women. Um, So no, your name's not on here. It's on some, you and everyone else is on some list. So people have had to kind of come up and claim their fame. Someday I want to have a picture of that rectac scene that's done like a coloring book where everybody's got a number. You know how they have those ideas? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be... that picture doesn't exist. They did shoot a picture from, you know, from the top of the catwalks looking Mm -hmm. down. So they do have the whole crowd. And I sent you a close-up and one with an arrow pointing to... Right, to, to right. Well, I didn't... When I heard what you were, this is the other story, is is shooting that. So we had... And I hear this, I wonder how it played out for you. There was two things. One, you got to be an alien, which is awesome. And you got to work with, I'm assuming, Fred Phillips? Yeah, well, I... Makeup? Okay, so let's go to that. So because I hosted conventions for many years mm-hmm. before this happened, I knew Freddie. So when All I right. got there... oh. Good to see you again, Steve. You know, how, how are you? I said, fine. I said, listen, I got black hair, uh, kind of a similar face shape to, to Nimoy. Can you make me a Vulcan? And, and Freddie says, well, we got, we got too many Vulcans already. Everybody uh, wants to be a Vulcan. <laughs> he says, how'd you like to be a bumphead? I go, what the hell's a bumphead? And he, you know, he tried to explain it. I said, you know, Boris Karloff is one of my favorite actors. And I think instead of wanting to be recognized back in Freehold by my friends having been in the movie, where there are people that they can say, oh, yeah, there's, you know, there's so-and-so. Mm-hmm. I see him in the crowd. I wanted to experience what it was like to go under heavy prosthetic makeup and not be recognized because of the connection to Karloff, which is I have a go-to voice for this Karloff. So because <laughs> of extra. that, I said, yes. Extra. So I said, go ahead. there's no charge for that one. Okay. So, so I go, um, do it, Freddie. So he says, okay, sit down. And at the time I went, uh, if you see my publicity pictures, I had mm-hmm. a mustache, uh, and I it wasn't cut as a as a small little narrow one, but I had a mustache because Boris Carl had a mustache. I wanted to have oh, a mustache. Okay, okay. So it, it, this is all my whole life is all based on not even reality, just whatever I saw on the screen. Okay, so, so that's a Boris Karloff homage, not a porn stash from the late seventies. Okay, it's good to know. Good to know. Okay. So, but Karloff cut it smaller, <laughs> narrower. But uh, my name is Stephen Lance, but I don't want to go there. <laughs> I didn't cut it exactly like 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 Boris right. did, but I but the idea that I had a mustache, he had a mustache, was was good enough for me. So did you so have to sat, shave it? Yes. Well, you sit down in the chair, and the first thing they do is they they, they start. No, they had sent us. I'm getting it. I'm getting out of sequence. They sent us. We got there on on a Friday. 
to get the official Star Trek haircut over to the over to the haircut place, mm-hmm. the, the bar, the studio barber. And they cut my hair shorter. My hair was longer. If you look at the picture, I look like Freddie. For those who don't see the picture yet, I looked like Freddie Prince Jr. back then. That's what I looked like. There's mm-hmm. no Chico and the Man, Freddie Prince Jr. Yes. I, that's what I look like. So they cut my hair short in what they call the official Star Trek haircut. They mm-hmm. cut my sideburns pointed, and I was like so excited to to come back <laughs> to you know to freehold and my friends and 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 support my pointy sideburns. With the official Starfleet sideburns, yes, right. And, and then, of course, when I went and saw Freddie, now we're back in sequence. When, when I saw Freddie, can I be a Vulcan? And he said, we had too many Vulcans, you're a bump it. The first thing they did was when I sat down on a chair was not only just cut the pointed part off, but cut the sideburns off to the very top of my ears. So like now, not only did I not have the pointed sideburns, I didn't have any sideburns mm-hmm. because they blew in the prosthetic. And then they proceeded to put oh, well. prosthetic on blew it in, and they came up with a really, I mean, the design and the technology back then was was just starting because one of the problems with my makeup, and if you blow up that photo of me really, really big, right. you will see the line of the plastic go across the bridge of my nose. But in a big crowd, you didn't see it, and, right. and I wasn't doing close but, but Billy Van Zamp, who and I are, are became friends on set, also was, he was the head brand, right? He was on the bridge. You know, he was credited... Uh, as alien boy alien boy right which was so th- that's they made up all these alien names species names so was, and then didn't use any of them on screen or on yeah so here's my no. question though when they said okay not a vulcan we'll make you a, a forehead we'll no. make you a prosthetic i love no, how Billy, he, yes he he called me a vegan at the time fred phillips said uh we'll make we'll make you we'll make you a vegan meaning uh-huh. you're from the planet vega right that was the idea and I said, that's good. That was my first car, Chevy Vegas. So he, <laughs> he, he did that, put the headpiece on, glued all the makeup around where the sideburns would have been, across underneath your eyebrows, across yeah. the bridge of your nose. And then Freddie is walking around watching all the aliens being made up for the scene, giving direction to the makeup artist. And then he said, oh, by the way, Stevie, I forgot to tell you, uh, bump heads don't have mustaches. And in two seconds, they cut off this mustache that took me several years to grow and then put the cake makeup on which i don't know how it, it sounded like uh, the scene with kirk you know in the in the tunnel yeah. when when he screamed you know oh, oh spock oh the pain oh the pain you know it it was they had just cut the mustache off and put this, this stinging you know makeup on top of where the mustache used to be and um well what i want to know is at what point did he say, oh, you know what, we're not, it's not a vegan, uh, you're a Ronderite. And you're like, what? What is, or did that, what? Never, never heard that. Okay. I, my publicity pictures and online said that Stephen Lance is a vegan crewman for years and years and years. And it wasn't only until it showed up somehow on uh, Memory Alpha that somebody said, hey, Steve, I saw you on Memory Alpha. And it says you're a Ronderite. I says, news to me. So had my publicist, uh, Lisa Warder, New Noodlehead Productions, change everything to... Well, maybe they were worried about vegan from the star Vega, which is spelled V-E-G-A. Maybe they thought you were, it was saying you were a vegan uh, alien. And... I, I, that always bothered me because when people look at it, he goes, well, he's, he's not going to... Believe me, I love hot dogs. You know, I'm just I'm eating hamburgers, hot dogs, you know, ribs. So... That would have been wrong. <laughs> That's well. It's awesome that you got to know your names. I mean, Billy ver- barely got. He has that one moment, kind of in the on the bridge and some close-ups, but he's not really there. But they created this alien species, which was they did this fifteen times for all the backgrounds. 
and you're so you're so you do stand out. You're not lost in the crowd. It's easy to see you're tall. And hey, look, it's the other Ronderite back there in the back. But you were talking about how the this was a two day shoot, and there was a big difference between the two. I mean, real briefly, just get into this, which I had heard, but tell everybody about the War of the Extras Union. Yes, you see, right now, if anybody wants to act on television or do radio commercials like I do as well, or be in a film, you join a union that the kids know today as SAG, S-A-G, hyphen, mm -hmm. AFTRA, which is the Screen Actors Guild and the American Federation of Radio and Television. Yeah. Back, in the, back in the old days, you know, when, when we, were, we were young kids. They, in the before to... times, Steve, in the before times. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the Batcave. Going back then, they had multiple unions. Of course, they, they had the Actors Union for, for theater, and that and the theater actors were completely separate. Actors they, equity, right? The actors equity, but those were for for, for Broadway and, and theater mm -hmm. actors. Stage live. They yeah. had the Screen Actors Guild for for actors. They had AFTRA, which you had to join for being a, a radio artist, which I started out on radio, so I had the AFTRA. But you couldn't do one or if you were an AFTRA, that didn't necessarily mean you could automatically do a movie. Then it had to be. They had to have a waiver. They had to have special right. paperwork to let you. And of course, the same thing for a SAG artist to do radio. I mean, this is why it blows my mind that there's a, there, was, there was a union for extras because and I'm just thinking, what, how, how, you know, fly by night. But, but so here's, here's that basically was, it's, it's, it's Gene and everyone trying to do a big thank you to all these fans like you. And who knew that like they hadn't checked it out ahead of time because all the regular screen extras that they round the scene out with are like really annoyed like you should have hired who are these amateurs here that aren't union which i'm all for unions too but uh, it's like yeah. really they but couldn't it was do a Valentine's special moment scene? yeah it was a yeah. special moment that other that other union was called seg so there's sag screen actors guild and then there was seg s-e-g which was the screen extras guild and i guess they eventually got absorbed into sag and then sag after joint the way it worked so yes the the union people didn't like the idea that there was non-union people and a, a stink was raised so big that those of us who were not SAG members or SAG members were asked to thank you very much and not come back to the second day shoot. And I, I didn't get to go back to the second day, which so there's So, but the master shots were all done, thankfully, on the first day. So we get yes. everyone, everybody's got their claim to fame. They can point themselves, hopefully. Some people right. are at the edges or in the back. And we've even had some folks uh, who were in that uh, shot wind up with us too. So you're not, you're not the first Steve, but this is, you're the first Ronderite extra that we've had. Uh, hey, very cool. <laughs> Thank you very much. Very much on that. So I saw it, obviously it was, but it was on screen enough that you could go home. And on top of everything else you'd, you'd achieved in Star Trek, you were still able to go back to Freehold and say, oh, look, can you find me? Or, oh, look, there right. I am. Right. Yeah, funny story when I go back to real. So I so I fly into what was then Newark International Airport. Now it's Newark, Newark Liberty Airport. But I knew that my dad would not recognize me at all. I mean, my hair was completely cut, my mustache was gone. So I saw him waiting for me at the, at the terminal after I had you know come through. And I intentionally walked right by my dad, waiting for him to say, Oh Steve, and he didn't rec he didn't he didn't say oh Steve and I turned around. I said, Dad, it's me. <laughs> so really uh <laughs> They had changed my look, and then I kept the shorter hair. This is not unlike what, what they did to my hair. Well, it changed your life, is what you're saying. 
<laughs> it changed your life. Listen, uh, Steve, this has been uh, an amazing. I mean, we could go on. I mean, I, I don't know. I know you've had blogs. You've had you've had pieces out there. You've had interviews before other places. I, I really wanted to come back and have another angle. The the um, the interaction with Fred Phillips is is kind of cool. Finding people who can talk about some of these folks who are who are past and these moments is past is is one of the great things we do on the Trek Files. I love to do. But we we need to talk about you in this whole early days of conventions hosting thing and how that even brought you to the Trek. Can you come back and let's talk about that? Uh, I would be I would be delighted anytime. Anytime. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Maybe we'll even sneak another voice or two out of you. Maybe. Maybe. Cool. Okay. Thanks so much. Well, I'm looking forward to that. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Now, all of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek, that's me, and Portal 47 at larrynimacek.com. And hey, have you heard? Check out all the Trek Files new swag and shirts at the Trekland shop at tpublic.com slash stores slash Trekland shop. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.